Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Knockback, the retro and nostalgia podcast is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my brother, Dagan, by myself, Moriarty. Dagan, how are you today, my friend? Shut up when I'm talking to you. <laughs> oh, man. How much angst do you have? I am right so now? angsty. I'm mm. just ready to go. It's good because I'm so stymied by my allergies. I need a little angst to counterbalance the entire yeah. thing. You know. What's interesting is that you have a Smith shirt on right now, yep. which is its own kind of angsty music. So, yes, it is. Yeah. I like angst personally. Uh, <laughs> we'll get into the topic, of course, but this is our retro and nostalgia podcast. Welcome. Uh, Dagan and I are brothers and we do this podcast each and every week. You can get it uh, ad free and early on Patreon, patreon.com slash media. Of course, listen Ooh. to it on podcast feeds, watch it on YouTube if you prefer, et cetera, and so on. Submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to the show. Uh, submit your topic ideas and vote on other topic ideas. This is one of those topic ideas that won our Son monthly election bitch. over on Patreon. And I was totally thrilled to see this for two reasons. I like this record. And uh, also, I, it's like so easy to do this album because I was there, you know? Yes. It's like, it's like when a, uh, you hear like old war stories. It's like, no, I was there. <laughs> you were on boots on the on, ground. I was boots on the ground. The exact target audience for this thing. But we'll get to that in a moment. What, uh, what's going on with you? What's uh, happening in your life? Anything to uh, stretch your legs with today? No, that's really it. It's just my allergies, my, this, this kind of knockdown drag out with the allergies has been, this used to be a typical thing for me in my thirties. And then largely in my forties, I wasn't really dealing with it. Then as soon as spring started this year, it just, it just hit me like a ton of bricks, man. I can't, you know, like I'm just stuffed up. I'm like cold. I'm never cold. You know, like I get, we went to a, an outing, like a picnic at Graydon school yesterday. It was overcast, but it was like 70 degrees. I'm, they are in a t-shirt i was freezing you know and it's just just being like stymied by these allergies and losing my sense of taste and mm. it's just like when is this gonna stop i have to and you know what's you know what's kind of funny usually that's kind of met with the pollen covering the cars you know the cars are all turning yellow and green from the pollen you don't really see it so i don't know it's a little different look this year for the allergies but I'm definitely feeling it, man. It's like just coming down on me like like a safe falling on me from a building. It's just like, oh God. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, this yeah. will be a quick this will be a quick and easy episode, I think. And um you know, one of that similar to the one we do anime and animated things where you kind of carry those. I can help definitely carry this and bring you to the end. This Although, is a fun one. I think it's and, a fun one, yeah. And it's it is interesting because um we had a an audience member write in with the, the perfect um comment and he said uh oh, it's mike this. w who says uh yo hey c and d in the end does it even matter <laughs> and i feel like that's that might be the whole you know that, that might be the whole the point question yeah. yeah that's the, well that's the sad the center of this whole thing you know i don't often get overtly political on the shows anymore especially um not we never really did on this show and on sacred symbols we get political when it's necessary 
Yeah. However, I wanted to just I wanted to just throw this thing out there. I don't think it's a partisan thing at all. I think it's just this nebulous sort of idea that I've had recently or this notion. Okay. Do you get the feeling that we are at a tipping point in culture where mm. like the kind of what I would consider the crazy left wing shit, not the normal liberal left wing yeah. democracy, but like the crazy left wing shit. Yes. Like, do you feel like it's about to just be done? Like, I, I just I feel like I'm I feel like I'm at this. We're at this moment. I've been thinking about it because of the way Disney just had its Florida's foot just booted right up its ass. Yeah. You know? um, like what happened? In the last I don't week. know if I know about this. Oh, so Disney, you know, Disney's in California, but they have obviously a lot of interest in Florida, of course. Sure. And uh, and Disney World and Florida passed this bill that everyone was calling the so-called don't say gay bill, which is, uh, you know. Oh, you know, this whole look thing. At, sure. Yeah. So sure. Disney decided to get involved in that in Florida. It's like, is that right? we're going to remove the special status of your little kingdom in oh. the central of Florida. And they, this, they, they passed a bill saying like, so basically Disney owns like 20 or like basically runs like 25,000 acres of land. Like it's just a city of their own. They have an old police force, their own yeah. like works. And yeah. they, they dodge paying taxes and all this stuff. And so Florida's like, Oh, that's done now. Oh, and now this is a very controversial thing, but this was the first time I had ever seen a government or like an entity be like, Oh no. I don't think so, you know, and it was as someone who is, you know, on the right, I guess I found it. It was interesting to me. I was like, yeah. you know, we're always used to being to losing, just losing, trying to lose less basically is like the entire goal. Right. And uh, I feel like the last two years or so, it's just been pushed too much. And I feel like society is like. Because I was explaining to it, what was I? I was talking to David Jaffe, I guess, on Sacred Symbols Plus. We were talking about trans stuff. He has a trans son. Okay. And I was saying, like, I don't think anyone has a problem with your trans son. Or let's say, let's even use like a trans daughter that was born a man. Okay. I think the problems began when you tried to pretend that your trans girl, your trans daughter is indistinguishable from a real, like a, a biological woman. They're, they're, sure. They are completely different. Right. And when you try to make us pretend that that's not the case, then people are like, mm, I don't think so. And you've been seeing this happen over and over again. Another example is with Latin X, you know, that or I think that's how you call it. Yep. Three percent of Hispanic poll Hispanics polled want to use that term. Three percent. Three percent. Three percent. Three. Wow. And that is a thing yeah. even in preschool that they're using. Right. And yet you get you see it getting put on you over and over and over again. Right. People wow. are looking at people are looking at all these things and being like, we have no problem with diversity. We have no problem with people living their lives. We have no problem with all of this but we have a problem with you leveraging your power in a totalitarian sort of way and it's been interesting to watch it kind of in my mind begin to crumble and that's what's been on my mind the last few days i've just been watching kind of what's going on now the federal government is talking about you know i'm sure you know this but disney lobbied the federal government incredibly hard from the 70s through the 90s to protect all of their ip the only reason that mickey mouse is not in the general is not in, in, in you know for everyone to use at this point is because of specific targeted help that disney lobbied for and now people are being like oh now we're going to go after you there too because oh, if you wow. want to get because if you want to get involved in this political culture war then you've picked your side wow you know and it's just interesting to me that i feel like 10 years ago let's say we were in like a pretty good place socially gay marriage was you know about 10 years ago gay marriage was um ratified by the supreme court um, and it was taken, you know, that that was kind of taken off the board. There were trans people. And we knew about them. I always say I, I remember going to a meeting in 2008 at yeah. IGN when a person came became a trans and we had, a, you know, 
the whole pronoun conversation and all that kind of stuff. So that was nothing new to me in San Francisco anyway. But I think sure. that like things have kind of tipped. And I was just curious, do you do you agree? It's, it's not a, again, it's not about how you feel. Yeah, because anyone can anyone can approach this from any perspective and have a, a subjective opinion on it. But I think from just an outside an outsider's view, like I say, I am a willing participant in the culture war. But from an outside perspective, I feel like this is breaking and yeah. that people assume that their personal rights infringe or like can somehow infringe on your on your rights. And I think that's where the you know, I think that's where the rubber meets the road. I've just been really fascinated by the, watching this happen because I feel like it's happened very quickly. In fact, I think it's kind of encapsulated by um, Elon Musk's pursuit of Twitter. Where I feel like that was like a breaking point. That's a breaking point. The people's fear about that says everything about like the complete societal, commercial, economic control right. that one side has had. Right. And they're going to finally get broke. They're getting busted up over it. And uh, I don't know. Do you do you see that at all? Or am I? I think I, it, I think it's true. I think largely I think as a society, we feel a palpable sense of that. I think and I think the dynamic is that. There's a zero tolerance policy now with things that have swung too far to the sides, no matter what side that is. It becomes so exaggerated and almost cartoony that, and I think people, when that happens, it stretches so far to that one side or the other that it's going to snap back. And I think only, but only having lived in that space and that exaggerated space and experiencing it, then it becomes a thing of, all right, we want to go there anymore. We, we went there. We tried to deal with it. We went to the other side. We tried to deal with it. And it becomes, it kind of defies, when it goes too far out to the sides, I think what happens is reason is defied. You know, it becomes unreasonable in a way where it, it becomes about maybe even individual agenda, right? Instead of something that's for the collective good or something that's for society. So I think when it just snaps too far to the side, I think that's now on people's radar. And But I think only having experienced that, those exaggerated sort of limits, those parameters, I think only having been there and experienced that, now it'll come back to a little bit more of a reasonable place, hopefully, and something that's beholden to the good of everybody. But I think, yeah, I think I think there is a palpable sense of just being fed up with that, with those kind of exaggerated, I don't know what you would call it, markers, you know, all the way out to the ends, all the way out to the very, <clears throat> the very edges of the acreage, if you will, you know. Yeah, yeah. At the, at, at, at this, it does seem to be, no matter right or left, no matter which side you are, it just seems to, when it gets too far out there, it just gets to be too much. You know what I mean? And I think when it gets so far out there, it just, those little tight pockets only benefit such a small percentage of the people that, yeah, you have to. And it's interesting too, that cor powerful corporate en entities that are kind of used to their power and their money and their influence are being called into question too, right or for wrong, you know, where probably even a, couple of three years ago, they probably wouldn't hold Disney maybe uh, that re responsible. But I think, yeah, I think there's a sea change in just sentiment. And I think it defies politics, too. I think it doesn't even matter what side you're on, um, which is That's interesting. What, yeah, I, I totally agree, because I, I, I think that we saw that 
Well, the swinging pendulum we saw with the right versus the left, like the very people, and I say this on Sacred all the time, the very people who went after your video games 20 years ago or 30 years yeah. ago were not the same people that are going yeah. after your video games today. In fact, those people would probably say nothing about your games today. Jack Thompson, those kinds of people don't exist anymore. Now the people that are trying to, and this is the exact term I use all the time on Sacred and people like it, like the murderer is in the house, guys. You know, like, I, I, I hate to tell you the murderer is in the house. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, not like well said. it's not Joe Lieberman. Right. Yeah. And so days? like that's that's a huge change. As and, and I've said this before, the the more in this case, the leftist pockets that kind of are going after games now, they do it with the same religious furor that the Christian right did. They have their own icons and their own prayers and slogans, their own holy people. You know, they can't tell that that, that they're themselves in the mirror and. I'm seeing this right now with the race to war in Eastern Europe, where it's like, whoa, dude, whoa, whoa what is going on here? You know, yeah. like I'm I'm vehemently anti anything with uh, getting involved in this. And, you yeah. know, and the very people that were like, you motherfucking morons were wrong about Iraq. And I'm like, yeah, totally. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Not never again. And then like me. now <laughs> and out there and I'm like, but didn't we all just agree that we didn't. What is going on? Yeah, you yeah. know, and so I feel like I feel like things are kind of snapping back. And I think. The pursuit of racial justice, the pursuit of economic justice, which is something I'm more focused on, if you want to even call it that, like class consciousness. If you want to yeah, sure. That Marxist term. I get it. <laughs> but I think that certain things like punitive stuff has made it feel like it's um, retaliatory in some ways. And then I think the stuff a lot with trans stuff, it just hit reality where it's just like the woman that's winning all of the races in the NCAA swimming meets was a man two years ago. Yeah. Now she's the best woman. That seems to be that seems to be pretty fucked up in my in my mind, right? Um, and so, and like we can't call women women anymore. Now they're birthing people. Oh, wow! Yeah. Like, I haven't even yeah, heard that. I mean, go read all the stuff with J or, or with not. I was gonna say J.R. Tolkien with um with J.K. Rowling. Like, oh the fake, yeah, the fake, sure. the totally fake outrage about what she's saying. You know, I just feel like there's a tension. And we always talk about our culture and we talk about the products and the media that come out of it. I, I got to say, that's kind of the undergirding of a lot of conversations right now in my mind. It's just this break. It's happening. Yeah. It's happening. Right. I think I it's really, I, I really feel it. Like, I think people like when people are like, you know, trans women need, you know, prostate health or something. It's like. What? You know, I don't even know what you're talking about anymore like why can't we just speak plainly and clearly and respect your differences respect who you are you have all the rights you are born free but let's stop with all the nonsense that's like my whole thing keep you it know? real no i words. was pretty good about five years ago the way things were <laughs> you know like, <laughs> i think a lot of people were i don't know what happened and it's i we hey, a lot dude we said it on we said it on the show things felt a lot less racist when we were kids <laughs> You know, what oh, I agree. Now. <laughs> yeah, I agree. There's more tension now. It's true, man. I think, yeah, I think we're hitting the wild west in terms of where things inevitably were going to go. And now we have to figure out, you know, how to deal with it. But you really have to just adopt a common sense, live and let live, let people be who they want to be and acceptance, of course. But, you know, don't. That's that, that's all at the center of things. You know, that should all be the 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 core, the nucleus of the whole philosophy. But we have to give each other patience and time to learn yeah. how to deal with it and the nuances yeah. and the wording and all that kind of stuff and just be patient with each other 
And just especially for those whose hearts are in the right place, right? Which you hope is everybody. But I think, and I think everybody kind of wants immediate answers when things are changing and we're kind of ebbing and flowing and trying to figure everything out and trying to figure out the in society, in, in jobs, in schools, with younger kids and all that kind of stuff. And just let's just figure it out. You know what I mean? Maybe we may make mistakes along the way, but like let's just go hand in hand into this thing together and just figure it out and let everybody be who they want to be and just have a an optimistic approach to it. You know? Right. I agree. And optimism is good, but I also think like just tr- I just try to treat everyone as individuals. Like when did we start thinking it was cool to start blocking ourselves off from each other again is like and thinking that that was like your personality. Yeah. You're you're you being a man or you being white is not a personality. You being Hispanic isn't a personality. You being transgender is not a personality. You know? And I just feel like I'm curious like transgender person A, what are we interested in? Do you like the show? Do you listen to it? What do you think about, you know, the hockey playoffs? You know, hey, right. baseball season started. Sure. You know, there's like it's like, why do we I, I just my mind, especially I'm so glad I live in a neighborhood like I do, which is this, you'll see it's like very racially diverse. And yeah, that's nice. it's like this is kind of. What it's all about, like we don't it doesn't come up, it's just the way we all live and we interact with each other as neighbors and friends and right. I don't know, man, I, I just the Roe versus Wade stuff again, too. It's just like, man, yeah, there seems happened. to be a lot of social ruptures, a lot of misinterpreting about about what's going on with that, too, I think willfully. And but anyway, I wanted to bring that up because I feel it and I need to say it somewhere. And this is really the only venue I have to say anything like that anymore. I'll put a little warning in the uh, in the text, though, so people can skip ahead. <laughs> no, seriously, I will. I usually I don't give them any timestamps for knockback, but I know some of you don't want political topics. I don't really feel like this is a political topic. I'm just more feeling about talking about the zeitgeist through political lenses and yeah. um it is a vibe that's in the air you know we went to a definitely. school event for the first time in two years because of covid like an outdoor picnic at my son's elementary school and it, it is interesting to see like the faces change because we have an older kid and now there's kindergarten first and second grade parents said that we're like who are these people you know and the townies that have been in the neighborhood for 10 plus years are like who are all these new people you know but you could see that there is there's a difference, and I think also just coming out and reemerging and being face to face in society again is also kind of a jarring thing too, and that's kind of adding a little bit to the to the dynamic, the current dynamic and the current vibe because we haven't really spoken face to face unless they were good friends or family, you know, that we would see or neighbors, you know, immediate neighbors. So yeah, there's definitely some sort of some some sort of vibe, some sort of tide rising tide in the air that's a, there's some sort of change going yeah, on you know? i agree I and it's agree. going to be interesting to see everybody sort of sort of adopt to it i concur and do you this is an exit question do you get this vibe that our generation our generations let's say people that are alive now but like adult age people that have been alive we've basically used up all of our goodwill right like as far as if we have another situation like the financial crisis or COVID, which was even worse. Mm. I don't know what happens after that. Like, I don't know that we have much more in us before it just decays. That's a good question. Certain, certain generations are built of different stuff. The people that went through world war one and then into the depression and then into world war two. Yeah. You know, that's like, that's fucking insane. Holy cow. You know, uh, we we're not made of that stuff. And I wonder 
if I, I hope against hope that things get better because I don't think we have much more in the reserves before chaos just erupts. I really That's don't. interesting. So you think one more straw will break the camel's? Oh back. my god, dude! If there's another thing like the the pandemic, I don't know. Like I don't, I don't, I have no fucking idea what happens at that point. Like if there's another thing where they're like, oh, we're put, we're locking you away, and this thing clearly came from a lab, but we're never going to acknowledge it, and uh, <laughs> you know, all, all and and people are gonna be like, no, I don't think so. Like that, like you did that once. We're not doing it again. But I feel like that's going to be in many different situations, and I just don't feel like many generations have also been challenged like ours have been in recent times i agree i agree with you yeah that's an interesting question i've always said i wanted to live in interesting times and we do yeah we really do and are we coming out of it where is it going we're kind of in a pivotal stage right now we don't really know at the moment of this conversation right we don't really have a definite sense of which we're hopeful we're optimistic but COVID's still happening, you know. You just had oh, your the, guest on that has uh, long-term COVID, right? That right, has, right. Yeah, long COVID, right? Uh, long COVID, which is interesting. And yeah, it's interesting. And I wonder too, like another thing that strikes me, and I think it's global, but certainly in the United States, is the sense of people's wealth. It seems like, I, I don't know. I, it seems like everybody's doing fairly well. You know, you can't fill so-called you know so-called menial jobs there's a job board on every fast food restaurant every supermarket they can't fill these spots but then i feel like how did that happen so quickly that everybody's been so prosperous through a relatively turbulent time with covid right and then you know like my landscaping company had to raise my price three times this season already because they couldn't get decent help and the gas surcharges and all this kind of thing so I, I do wonder how the financial dynamic would play into another straw that could break the camel's back, like another wave of co- having to hide inside from COVID or. I, know, know, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but in the United States, that's not going to go over well. Like it's, yeah. it's just, I mean, it's that's just, your sense. It feels like a powder keg. It you does. know, like sometimes it really does. It, and it's, I don't think it's. We always think that the certain things can't happen. And I just want, I, I, my, I, for all the optimism, we also say it's like the pessimism is like anything can happen, <laughs> you know? And it's like the geopolitics, the, the different, that's why I'm like, we shouldn't be trying to make enemies or like, f- like prolong wars or sure. we need, we need to be in problem solving mode 110%, you know? Well said. Yeah. And uh, I agree. Chris and I have a joke on sacred symbols, you know, like take me to Pizza Hut, like the the old crazy or crazy taxi <laughs> thing. But we say like, take me to Raytheon, you know, because like that's take me to Boeing because it's like like as you just fill, fill these companies coffers. And meanwhile, and, and that's people. Some people say like I'm starting to sound like a communist almost in the way I talk about class because I'm like, no, class is the thing. My eyes are wide open to this problem. Income mm. inequality, the haves and the have nots the laptop class, the white collar class that, that didn't do fucking anything this entire pandemic compared to the people that broke their asses sure. um, and didn't get any reprieve or respite from it at all. Now they suffer from all of these different problems too. And that's, I think the biggest thing. And I'm, you know, I'm in, I'm, I am in like the fuck the mega rich fuck corporations kind of mode. Totally. So I think that there's a lot of for all of us, I, as I become more populist, I think that, that which I think I have is I've embraced more like universal health care and all these weird things that I've just not really embraced in the past, but also fulfill, but also have this like really deeply entrenched like social libertarianism in me and cultural libertarianism. Don't tell me what the fuck to do. Get out of my life. Get out of my bedroom. <laughs> right. You know, get out of my wallet. 
a lot of this stuff comes in the conflict with each other. These are interesting times. Everyone should keep their eyes open. And um, as I say, I said it on Sacred Symbols. I do the show for everyone. We do this show for everyone. But I always think of the blue collar people when, when we actually record them. Yeah. Just because I think about you stocking the shelves. I think about you driving the truck. I think about you shoveling the shit or planting the grass or sure. doing whatever it is, you know, farming or doing whatever it is. I know so many of you out there do those things. And the world that is described is um is not your world. <laughs> so I feel you guys out there. And um I think the more secure and the better I've done in my life, the more secure I've become in that I want to put the ladder down, not yeah. pull it up. Sure. You know? Yeah, that's well said. And I think that's yeah, that's admirable, man. Yeah. yeah anyway. Definitely. I'll give you guys timestamps. We'll get right into this now. Hybrid theory. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Hybrid Theory, Linkin Park's Hybrid Theory. This album came out right after my birthday in 2000, uh, my 16th birthday. And um, this album was iconic. I mean, it is iconic, but it, it this this record, which is Linkin Park's first, is uh, although they existed in other forms, and early Napster users will know we, we were always seeking out those old demos oh, and nice. from the uh, from their band Xeno and then Hybrid Theory, which was what they were called before they were called Linkin Park. And um, this album speaks to me still to this day because I think that I was there in the perfect place for it, which was 11th grade. Like, I don't know. I know people enjoyed it in elementary school. I know people enjoyed it that weren't even alive for it and we're going to talk about that and i know people enjoyed it that were older but i don't know that lincoln park's hybrid theory could have had a better target than colin moriarty freshly 16 yeah and, and um this album like every song in this album reminds me of something or someone somewhere someplace sometime this album was on rotation everywhere in my life and not just from me from everybody in fact people introduced me to this record it wasn't like this you know i knew them from MTV and all of this, but people are like, you got to really listen to this album. And uh, it's a seminal rap rock record. And that's obviously one of my, my favorite genres and a genre that I think, and of course it's new metal and all of that too, but, and I know that's a, a derogative term 
for a lot of people, but I love new metal. I mean, that was like my shit. That was, again, I was in that age listening to that stuff and I still listen to it to this day. So over the last few days leading into this episode, I just listened to the album several times. I was playing Tiny Tina's Wonderlands listening to it. I was working out listening to it and it's it's brisk. It's 37 minutes and change. Yeah. Which is fine. Every song is pretty brisk. You know, these are three minute bangers. I love this record. And before I even get into it, I want to read these two intros that I have from the audience. Of course, you guys wrote a bunch of stuff in for Hybrid Theory. Oh, cool, cool. And Shane Sperry wrote into us and said, Moriarty men, hope all is well. This album instantly takes me back to my time in construction building cell phone tower sites. My foreman and I didn't agree on the same type of music with one exception, Linkin Park's Hybrid Theory. We'd listen to it almost on a daily basis, and I can almost feel the hammer back in my hands when I listen to it now. Such a short album to listen to from start to finish, but every single song is a hit in my books. I think of my time when the with the crew working hard under the sun every time I played through it again. Wow. And Sutter Kane wrote in and said, this is a moment in my young life that I still remember so vividly. A friend handed me a CD on a summer night asking me if I've heard it, never knowing anything about it and playing it for the first time that night. An amazing and transformative experience that comes from media only a handful of times, even less now where every song is a single. That night is burned into my memory and began my love of Linkin Park. So. I feel these memories, but finally we have something from Leaf Lettuce that allows us to talk and explore. He says, I was 17 when I bought this CD from a media play near my house in southeastern Michigan based solely on the album cover and overall vibe of the packaging. Mm. And as you can imagine, when I played it for the first time, my mind was blown. How did you come across this album? Was it recommended? Did you hear a single and then have to hear more? Or was it something like me, an impulse purchase because you felt it in the moment? So, Dick, I want to throw it over to you. I'm not super pushy. At least I don't feel like I am with my music people know what i like people and family friends but i never really try to be like you gotta listen to this record you have to especially like since i've probably been in middle school you so lincoln park was never something i tried to like you know evangelize anyone i just liked it It, it, i've always been like that i always say like if playstation just made games for me and i and no one else played them i would be fine like i don't care it's not really about the celebration with everyone it's like what do you like and right so i'm curious like where how did you encounter Linkin Park in the past. What do you remember about this time? Because I'm sure that you had never listened to this record all the way through until until preparing for this. Yeah. So what was so what was your what was your feel of this era of music and rap rock and and this band and 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 them coming up and and being pretty ubiquitous? Did you also feel like they were, you were they were ubiquitous? Because if I was 26, you were or I'm sorry, if I was 16, you were 25 or 26. So yeah, yeah. So what do you think? Yeah. So when this came out. It's really it's, a, it's such a snapshot in time of like 2000, you know, just coming off the fear of Y2K. We wiping the sweat off our brow. Right. And pre 9-11 and just really sounding like popping this record in and listening to it a couple of times. Just it's sounding like the early aughts, that very distinctive snapshot in time. And yeah, I was 26. I would be 27 later in the year when this came out. To my best recollection, I was living in LA at the time, if I'm not mistaken. Not married yet, just a couple of few years out of college, working my second job in animation. Helene and I weren't even engaged yet at the time. So relatively young. But I remember like this whole age of music. I was so probably from the early 90s onward, late 80s, early 90s onward. I had listened primarily to hip hop. And I came up with a very steep hip hop education that dated back to like the 80s stuff. I mean, like classic KRS-One and Kumo D and Uncle L and Big Daddy Kane. And, you know, we grew up in New York, so we had Hot 97. We had 
WBL kicking S, we had Funk Flex and Red Alert and Yo M2E Rap. So you could get, you could really as a kid get a proper hip hop education. And that's really what I steep myself in. And I remember when this new metal slash rap rock, short haired metal, whatever you want to call it, thing kicked off that I was always felt very protective of hip hop music. And I was already steeped in all sorts of hip hop music. So I remember feeling like when Linkin Park came out, it was just everywhere. It was all over MTV. It was all over the radio. And it, you know, kind of, it was this new type of music that seemed to transcend. It had a, a harder edge, like classic metal, but it also seemed to be, you know, entering the pop charts. And it was interesting from that regard and catchy, but I never really caught myself listening to it. Same thing with Limp Biscuit or Corn or Marilyn Manson. Certainly, uh, Lincoln Park's a big part of the conversation. I never really got into it. It was, I think, and I think my age, I had aged out of that type of music where the high school, angsty, cathartic type thing. I heard already gone past that and was like just enjoying hip hop and alternative music, shoegaze and all that kind of thing. So this stuff was even a little too hard for me. You know, certainly like Black Sabbath and Zeppelin was like the hardest I ever got just for my musical tastes. But just in si- sitting back and starting to listen to the album, it's so funny how you're just whisked to 2000 and the sights and the sounds and the smells and just being like transported right back to that. And I had realized that I kind of got my Linkin Park hooks in me a little bit more after Numb slash Encore came out, particularly their collab with Jay-Z, and then them using that song in the Michael Mann Miami Vice remake movie trailer, which kind of only, you know, made it even better for me. And then... um that that's when I started to really acknowledge Lincoln Park as like, all right, this is kind of irresistible. There's something really kind of special about it. And I was kind I kind of misjudged too, because there's something cool about blending electronica and hip hop and DJing and metal and even a little bit of pop type stuff all into the same music. There's something cool about taking all those genres and mixing them. But I was feeling like it wasn't, you know, I felt like, oh, this isn't like proper hip hop or this guy doesn't sound very good rapping. But you know what? It really, you know, when you later on, when you mature and you look back and you're able to kind of be a little more introspective, it's good stuff, man. This is a really good album and you could understand and acknowledge its diamond status and its popularity. And I think it's still, is it still the best selling album of the 21st century? I think so. Yeah. yeah which and, is and, and insane. Really- and I think that really says something. Obviously, it's, it says two things. It wouldn't be if people bought records today like they used to. But True. it also, it, I would also say this. This album came out at a time when people stopped buying albums. For as, well as, this album sold, for as well as this album sold, dude, I would imagine tens of millions of sales were on the table. But everyone had this CD. Burn part of, you know, this was during the brief CD mixtape kind of thing sure. where you burn your stuff. Sure. You know, and definitely. So I, I, I think that it goes both ways where this album probably benefits because no one buys albums anymore, but also because but it also balances out because I think fewer people bought it because no one buys albums anymore. So right. it, it did really it did really well. I mean, this was like early Nap- Napster fodder times 10. I mean, exactly. everyone loved Linkin Park. Yeah. And, and I, someone wrote in, although I didn't use it. I always that this is during the, the 
the early like fan video stuff too, where all the like anime clip scenes, like Dragon Ball fight scenes, all have Lincoln Park songs on them, like yes. Overcut and other songs, and uh, and all of this. So it's funny, man. I have always been confused by people being like, "Oh, rap rock," and and I, I'm confused by that for multiple reasons. The first is why doesn't that go together? Why doesn't that go? You can do like the run DMC Aerosmith stuff. You can also do like the biohazard public enemy stuff. Oh, sure. And that's like more like rap metal. But like, why can't you do an album? Why can't a band exist with rapping and rock? Just like the police took reggae and rock and made some of the best shit ever with it. Go listen to some of those albums. Right. And people be like, why are the, you know, maybe people at that time, like, why are these white guys playing reggae? Who does Stuart Copeland think? He is with these beats, you know, and but it it works. And we have, of course, we all know that rock itself comes from black American music, right? So let's borrow from that infinite well of creativity again. And take rock, which comes from black music and unify it with modern black music. It's full circle. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it was always confounding to me that people were like, oh, this sucks. And I'm like, what are you talking? What? You can think that, but why? <laughs> and, then, and then there are people too, like Dana always is like, oh, I hate rap rock and I hate 311 and all that stuff. And I'm like, Dana, what was Rage Against the Machine, which yeah. you loved? That's rap rock. What was the Chili Peppers that you listened to? You know, mother's milk and sex Great and point. blood sugar, sex magic, and all that. That's rap rock. Yeah, what I gotta, I gotta yeah. give it to your mama. <laughs> what I gotta, I gotta. Yeah, no, that's just straight up rock and roll, right? That's not rap rock. Chili pepper you know? is a great example. And, and and so it's like people have been very selective over time. The, the, I remember when Danny California, the Red Red Hot Chili Peppers song came out. That was probably 2005 or so. So that was like after rap rock was kind of dying and everyone, people make fun of it. And they're like, oh, I love that song. And I'm like, oh, the rap rock song, Danny California. <laughs> you mean that song? So what's funny, though, Dig, is that while you felt protective about rap, it was rap rock that got me into rap. You yeah. know, it was I used to not really like rap too much, with the exception of De La Wu-Tang, like the stuff I was really familiar with. I was like, eh, like anything that was on mtv or anything any of this stuff i was like i don't want to fuck with this i got into some of it but it was my openness to 311 specifically that was that made me go backwards they they talk about all these people that that's they love and, and so and so you go you go backwards and that's what i loved about this era it felt i know people look back at limp biscuit and all these like i love limp biscuit still like that that new limp biscuit album is awesome but and I like how it's called Limp Biscuit Still Sucks, which is an, uh, an amazing name. <laughs> when did they put a, that out? Like a, like a few months ago, probably. Oh, um, wow. Holy it's awesome. Shit, it's great. Yeah. He, he dresses like an old man now and stuff. It's like super cool. Um, Fred Durst. And so actually they do a song called Dad Vibes. And it's like his character <laughs> is like it, it, it's, it's pretty interesting. That's but I've cool. always really been into this genre and it's kind of gone more into my love of like gent and like newer rock now where gent or the gent depending depending on how you say want to say it has really adopted rap metal and rap rock like that's where a lot of that stuff is happening now with like people rapping over that kind of stuff which is cool but i was always like okay you can have these sophisticated dre beats and all these really wonderful beats off of keyboards and computers and programming 
but what if a person played the beats? What if instead of the keys and the electronic music, it's a real guitar and bass and you have turntables and you have keys just like Linkin Park does. Yeah. But, but you embrace all of what these things can do. It never made any sense to me why people were so had their noses stuck up about this shit. And I think the reason is because aesthetically it doesn't hold up anymore, but I think musically it does. If you go mm. watch Linkin Park, uh, one, one, one step closer is video. It's like, this is what is this you know like what what are you wearing what are you doing but when it you just listen itself. to the song yeah so i feel like so i kind of feel like it's similar to glam metal and hair metal where that shit rules dude what are you fucking kidding me i've been listening to some of the like scorpions and all this stuff recently i think i sent you a scorpion song recently. you did yeah and uh i'm like this rules it's just their visuals that didn't really hold up but let's remove right. all of that you know what Never i mean does. so and that's why I've, I, I've never really been protective, I would say, of 311. But it's just like when I when people just make fun of that band, I'm like, you are you have it's fine if you don't like it. But if you don't hear what what it is about this, that is attractive and cer- certainly much more sophisticated than even Linkin Park, I would think, then then I don't know about that. I don't know that you have super open minded. And, and I right. think what's interesting is that that genre helped me help break my mind open to just listening to to just rap and hip hop and, and embracing and enjoying it for what it is. But there's no doubt that and I'm so glad you saw where I was going, that the rap rock thing is full circle in the celebration of black contributions to modern American music. Uh, I, and I think maybe it's upsetting that there are more black people involved in it, but, and that's fine. I, mm. they probably look, you know, a lot of black people probably look at it as corny and whatever. That's fine. But it's us. Like it's, I never looked at it as anyone trying to do anything disrespectful or, or whatever and i oh i don't I, think so and i do think there are a lot of people like me that were broken open to the idea of rap through a more like suburban white delivery system yeah i think that's well said yeah yeah for your generation for sure i think and you know brandon breland wrote in and said hey colin and dagan after trying what seems like a thousand times i'm glad to see you finally tackle such an influential record as someone who only recently delved into the lincoln park back catalog in full and began to truly appreciate their music as a younger person I wanted to ask what it was like in 2000 when this album dropped. How important was this album compared to other big albums in the genre? Thanks for everything you do. What's funny about this to me, Dagan, is that this album arrives right after Sound System, which is a lot of people consider 311's best record and seminal rap rock record. And then Limp Bizkit's Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavored Water, which was their third record, came out the same time as this. Lincoln. Oh, Park it album. did. Like same era. I think it was maybe a month later. Okay. And that was like a huge selling rap rock record. And then you had some stuff that was like popular that I honestly didn't like. Like I didn't like crazy town for instance and shit like that. Okay. They sing, you know, that song butterfly that they sing, you know, come, oh, course, my lady, yeah. come. I like, I, ne- I gotta be honest. I never liked that. Yeah. But it does remind you of that era, right? It's like, that's yeah. what, what's funny about listening to hybrid theory is it really is truly representative of everything that was going on right now. In fact, it's a highly produced album. That's one of the criticisms of it is that this is an album that was, really manufactured in a studio a band that was kind of forced into a wedge and introduced to a new person in chester bennington um, we'll talk about all of that but i feel like you hear the industrial rock of nine inch nails and all that kind of shit in it definitely you hear and the dust brothers are on do one of these songs but you hear the programming of a dust brothers or another 90s electronica outfit of course, the spinning and the keys, the keys are almost like Faith No More kind of 
keys, like I pretty loud that. synth at times. Yeah. And the turntables are nothing really new to people that like rap rock. 311 has just as much turntable stuff in their songs too. And that's a huge part of rap rock. I think the the industrial simplistic guitar riffs with just, you know, muddy guitars, pretty simplistic bass, drums that are questionable. I think like what's funny about hybrid theory from a performance standpoint is that I don't think it's very good. Like, I think you could have taken all of this and given it to like a really good band like that plays well, like 311 or an, an, like a, a band that has better chops than these guys had at this time. Yeah. And you would have had something even better than this, which is which is incredible. And I say that pretty openly, knowing that anyone who saw um, the DVD that came with Meteora, which was their second record, okay. knows that they speak fairly extensively, especially Rob Burden, who's the drummer, about how like they needed to get better, like they needed to play better. And you can hear it, right? Like it's there's nothing about this album that's like, wow, man, the fucking performances are insane. You hear a lot of like, wow, Chad Sexton from 311 would have made this this drum beat 7,000 times better. And yet, because of all the fine points production, and I think the genius of people like Mike Shinoda, yeah. Mr. Han, right, yeah. Spe- specifically, um, yeah. put something together that is of the time that takes all these elements that feels disparate, but is their origin point. And then I agree that I, I don't know anything past Meteora, which is their second record, but Meteora feels like a better record than hybrid theory because i think they just learned more i like that record so let's get into the the nitty-gritty here dig sure rk128 says i have no idea i had no idea you guys did episodes on music albums this is only our second we did one on michael jackson's 1982 record thriller thriller go check that out that was an awesome time great to really delve into that lincoln park has amazing music and this album was no exception what was your favorite track on the album dig i'm curious what uh what what songs stuck out to you uh Mm. through your journey through the um the album now of course paper cut one step closer crawling and by or no i'm sorry in the end are all singles right one step closer was the first single that's how i found them and uh yeah i'm curious what what which of these songs stuck out to you the most as the the gems you know what i it's interesting because of all the songs really the only the the ones i only knew that i definitely had heard before were the four singles so paper cut which still was a little bit how many times have i heard this i know i've heard this but not as as much as the others one step closer and then of course crawling and in the end especially crawling and in the end i mean those were anthems yeah of 2000 definitely. 2001 2002 i mean you just heard them everywhere you went um and it is interesting that you go back and listen to these songs and you could see their power and their staying power and what made them good and what made them catchy and what made them sort of register with people and speak to people. And then I also enjoyed um, some rare little little tidbits on this, that Core for the Itch, uh, Cure oh, the for Mr. the Han, Itch the Mr. song. The Mr. Han track? Yeah, yeah, which is just all like two and a half minutes of just you know, um, turntables and scratching and sampling, very chill, very trip hoppy, downbeat. That was kind of a cool surprise. I really enjoyed that. But there was almost every song. I mean, I, I wrote in my notes that a couple of them felt a little more like filler. But as you said, the the record moves very brisk. They're cut into each other really well. Some back-to-back tracks almost feel like one continuous song. And it's a it moves at kind of like this breathless pace that's kind of an experience and you know i'm just going back i'm i'm thinking okay diamond album by 2005 it became like a diamond status album and i was looking at the list of diamond albums and i was like wow this is this has some pretty this is in some pretty crazy company this album 
then you're kind of listening to it critically thinking, okay, like show me a diamond album and you could see it. You could see that this would be in a 15, 16, 17 year olds of 2000s wheelhouse, you know, just for, I think the catharsis and the honesty of it. You know, I think as a 26 year old and certainly somebody in their forties now, you would look at it and say, it's a little too cheesy. It's a little too accessible. They kind of, they kind of tell and don't show, but there's that, there's no barrier for entry. You know what I mean? You could just jump right in and rock to it and sort of relate to it. And I know a lot of this is Chester Bennington's sort of childhood trauma and all that kind of stuff coming to bear and playing out. And there's an honesty and an authenticity to to that, I think, when you listen to it, that kind of keeps it above board from becoming cheesy. And that's really what I kind of found, especially if you look at it in that sort of retrospective 2000 perspective where it's like, wow, that's, you could kind of see why this album spoke to so many people. And, you know, you could, when you're a high school kid, you could go figure out Shakespeare, but there's none of that with this music. It's just instantly accessible. Again, there's no barrier for entry. You could just jump right into it and understand it. There's clarity. And I think musically it's very catchy, but just also for that message, you know what I mean? Just there, there's no snobbery to it. It's just very direct. And I think that makes it sort of an interesting, authentic experience, which is interesting. Because I, I, even as a 26 going on 27 year old, you're thinking like, this is so angsty and angry. And I've, I already went through that stage. You know, I'm, I'm, I graduated from college two or three years ago by the time this album came out. But you got to look at it in the pers- from the perspective of a high school kid. You know, you were in that perfect wheelhouse for it. Right, right. And yeah, Paul Dunn wrote in on Patreon said to this, I was five when this album first released, yet somehow this album came to define my teenage years almost 10 years later. Wow. Why do you guys think this album resonated with me and countless others despite the gap between release and discovery? For me, I think this album uniquely captures and expresses teenage angst in a healthy way that doesn't channel those negative feelings into violence or anger. Thanks for giving me an excuse to relive this masterpiece. Thank you, Paul, for writing in. Yeah, dude, it's it's as I said, you could have told me they wrote this album for me when I when I listen to certain songs like points of authority or place for my head and stuff like that. It's like I remember exactly what I thought those songs felt like they were about when I was a kid, like the the, the situations that I was in and all that. And they'll always remind me of that. Like I can never reinterpret one step closer. I can never reinterpret in the end or anything, because like when you're a kid, you're you're bringing in all this media and it feels like it's for you. I feel like that's why something like my so-called life on MTV resonated so much with generation X, right? It's like, yeah. because it's you dude, it's you. And the talking to you, it's not for your parents. It's not for right. your grandparents or your little <laughs> sister. Right. And I felt like for this, I remember dad actually, like we were, dad used to, I think that's a real lover of music. And so I think out of, you know, to spend time with me, but also out of sheer curiosity, we used to watch MTV together all the time. And uh, he's seen and listened to all of this stuff on the radio on K-Rock back in the day. But I remember like the one step closer thing was like, shut up, but I'm talking to you. Yeah. I remember like, <laughs> even then I was like, man, this is cringy. I remember dad being like, you know, this is not a very good part of the song. You know, it's like, yeah, it, some of it doesn't go over well, but it is that angst. And it's funny because at the same time, 311, which I'm listening to at this time, too, is making fun of this kind of music. There's a there's a song the ne- on an album the next year on from chaos called um hostile apostle that's all about this shit 
and making fun of it cleverly making fun of it and talking about how like what is the point of all this anger and angst and anger you know hostility and all this it's a great song and thoughtful song but i was feeling it and it was it, it added a nice little balance because i had like my corn i had my limp biscuit and but then i had like ben folds five and bare naked ladies and then i had like the beatles and cream and all this kind of shit and so it was just part of that stew, but it was a really influential part of that stew, particularly yeah, because every out. fucking person in my life was listening to it. So that was different than cream. That was different than vanilla fudge. That was different than whatever random shit I was listening to. My friends weren't listening to The Cure. They, they weren't listening to, you know, whatever weird shit that I found on Napster. They were listening right. to Linkin Park's hybrid theory. They were listening to it in the hockey locker room. They were listening to it on the ice during warmups. <laughs> during practice they were listening to it on the bus they were listening to it in our you know because this is also an important component though i didn't drive i did drive a little bit because i had a junior license but right my friends were all driving at this time what album were we listening to when we were going to taco bell what album were we listening to when we were going to the dunes to smoke weed what album were we listening to when we were doing whatever hybrid theory yeah this is and the so yeah it's just Soundtrack. so it, it, right and so um it's there but to the question we had earlier, like some of my favorite tracks, I love Paper Cut. I think that that is the best song. Now, I've said in the past that I'm a, just a sucker for first songs on albums. I don't know why. There's some energy that they put into these like producers because track listings are everything. Sure. And uh, it's an art in and of itself. And there's something that that syncs with Colin Moriarty about first tracks. So Paper Cut, I think, is a really awesome song, especially the end when Chester comes back in and it's just... There's a lot of great stuff in there. Points of Authority. Love that song. That's a classic rap rock song, like classic. Probably if you ask me to list like 10 classic rap rock songs, like what would I, I would, that would probably be one of them. You know, that's you a good love one. The way. You know, it, it's just like <laughs> no guitar, you know, ding, 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 ding. It's just like the, it's just a very classic rap rock drive. And the the interstitial you know the mike shinoda's lyrics going in and then them going together love that song and then a place for my head i lo always love the lyrics of that song that some of my favorite lincoln park lyrics that i know about are in this song yeah it's a good one too you know i watch how the moon sits in the sky in the dark night shining with the light from the sun but the sun doesn't give the light to the moon assuming the moon's gonna owe it one it makes me think of how you act to me you do favors then rapidly turn around and start asking me about things that you want back from me this is, that's great writing yeah, you know, I'm sorry. That's great writing. Whether whether you're a 16 year old or like I am now 37. It's like, that's good shit. Yeah, and, age uh, as well. Yeah, that's I, an interesting I, one to place in yeah. my head that I found that one had a sharper cadence to it. I liked it. It was a little snappier and right. a little less sort of dragged out and elongated. It was neat. And then the way that kind of blended with the next track, Forgotten, it, almost, it was almost like one song, mm -hmm. which is really interesting the way they do that on this album. Definitely. A lot of the industrial feel of these songs, I think, connect them really well. Like when I don't know if we'll ever do Meteora, maybe if you guys vote for it, Meteora feels different than this. It feels it's feels much more like a professional record, but it doesn't well, have that, that 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 I don't know. There's something amateur about there's something special about amateurism meeting high production value. Like I think the guy's name was Mike Blue that signed these guys at Warner. Um, right. And uh that no one else saw anything in these guys so like he's not surrounded by idiots right like it, these guys had their pick of the litter in the 90s of bands to to pick from and any they and we saw all the all the random ass one album bands some of them i loved 
So the fact that like these record execs didn't see anything with these guys, I think kind of does play out on this record. It's just so well made, so well written, getting the right collaborators, the right people in the booth, the right mixing and mastering. I, I would consider some pretty canny single picks. One step closer is no doubt a banger. I mean, that, you know, that that's like a that's like a famous rock riff. And uh, that the keys are really high in it. So they're really embracing that that synth that you don't really hear a lot in new metal. You heard it a little bit in like Orgy and a few other bands, but not, you know, Dead Z, I think, had some some keys, obviously Slipknot. But yeah, Slipknot, but nothing, sure. you know, not until the killers, really. Did you did you hear a band that's so blatantly embraced keyboards kind of come out of the post rock alt rock scene? So I think there's a lot of shit to love here. What do you think? About, now, I, I would say well, Crawling is probably my least favorite song. I actually always oh, avoid wow. that song. Okay. I just don't like it. I think part of it is because it's an only a Chester song. There's really no Mike Shinoda in that that song at all. Yeah, true. That's a good point. And also, it was just overplayed. I, I feel like out of all of the other songs, like One Step Closer wasn't really possible to overplay because it's, first of all, it's two and a half minutes long. And second of all, it just bangs. So it just gets in and out of your life and you can listen to it like every day on K-Rock on the way to work and I don't think it would get tiring. But Crawling's a minute longer and it's, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not feeling that. What, what, did any of these songs not resonate with you? You know what? I mean, really established even before we get to Crawling, which is what, the fifth track, they kind of, oh, they established that rhythm already of setting the stage, especially with Chester's singing, right? Like setting the stage with that seething calm that anger is beneath the surface, but it's still held back. But then you know it's coming. And then that payoff, delivering that angry, explosive, you know what I mean? It always lead, it's always kind of that same model of that, that build and then that release. And I think that's really brought to like its crescendo in, in the song like Crawling, where it's like that anger, it's, sta- it's, it's, it's stayed and then it pops and then it explodes. And I like that that sort of build, you know, it becomes, I mean, you learn from the, just over the course of this album, that that's kind of their thing. That's kind of the delivery system of the music. And I like the contrast, you know, of the kind of the slow calm bits that then escalate. I think that's really, that's kind of the model that back and forth. And you really only get that punch and that kick in the gut when Chester really bellows and he really shouts and screams and everything. It's always melodic because of that voice. But it's only really kind of delivered with that kind of pop because of the calm parts and not doing it the entire time, like de- like death metal or something. Right, right. right. It's, always the same, it's always the same tone. It's always the same attitude. So I, I kind of – that's something that I really kind of appreciated in listening to this again was like that contrast and having a little bit of the best of both worlds. And then just delivering it, it's not – you know, it's not the world's most brilliant poetry. You know, it's not Robert Frost or Emily Dickinson. Oh, no, it's no, just, no. it's very direct and it's very made for high school kids to respond to and just kind of like register with and, and um, relate to. And again, I think that sort of just like no barrier to entry, like just being able to access, it's just fully accessible, the clarity, you don't have to work for it. You just pop, pop it, you know, pop it on and listen to it and you're right there with them. And I think that immediacy is something that I didn't really get when I was younger. And um, 
that's you know that's kind of a that's an appealing thing for a kid where you don't have to it feels like it's for you it feels like right. it's made for you you know right and, and i think it's a surgical strike like you were saying that this is music made for teens to relate to well fucking you know check the box i mean they they did it and i don't think there's any shame in that like we got caught up in this really well produced menagerie of of situations with zamba and warner and all these different people getting involved and it spawned an actually good band i mean at lincoln parks you can imagine a, a, there's so many albums that i loved from this era that really were one or two offs bands like from zero and and all this and even breaking benjamin which i loved in the way they kind of changed after their first two records it's like this record is what it is and i and i love it for that reason and i want to talk a little bit later about why it still holds up but since we're talking about the vocals, Ryan Garcia wrote in and said, hey, Cindy, this Yo. is one of my favorite albums from my high school years, and I still listen to it nowadays to reminisce on the good old days. How do you feel about the vocal performances on the album? I've always been enamored by Chester's voice. It's hauntingly beautiful, and I think it's a perfect compliment to the loud, aggressive music and contrast really well with Mike's rapping. Thanks. So, yeah, Dig, what I like about Linkin Park, they do it differently than 311, at least during this era. I don't know if they still do it this way, but 311 has a has two vocalists but they both sing and they both rap okay one sings more than raps one raps more than sings but they both sing and they both rap what i like about this is that and i was listening carefully to the mix to see if I, if my assumption about this was true and i think it is which was shinoda doesn't sing backup and obviously chester never raps so they're just uh, like the backing vocals appear to be chester at different modulations you know in the studio i don't know what they do live or anything like that because I know that I think he plays some guitar live, some rhythm guitar and all that. But okay, it's just I like that they're kind of in separate silos. They don't actually mix in, but it, they do miss that key component about 311, about how the essay and Nick and 311 can come in and out of each other because they can harmonize with each other or rap over each other and then go off into their directions wherever, which is what makes I think those that music so canny. And I must be honest and say, because Linkin Park originally had a, an, a, a when they were at a high school, they had a different singer. There's no doubt that they were copying 311 in terms of having two vocalists because there's really not many other bands that were doing that, especially singing and rapping. It's a good point. So they they struck gold here, I think, with this. I think some people think Mike Shinoda is a little overrated. I think that he's probably at the heart beating heart with Mr. Han of this band. So I personally like him. And I think, yeah, well, actually, someone wrote in and asked us, like, does it does it kind of ruin Linkin Park knowing that Chester was basically headhunted because he was right like. And, and kind of integrated into the band in the studio, basically, which is what happened. Does that bother you at all? I mean, talk to me a little bit about the dynamics of the lyrics and stuff, because this really was Mike Shinoda's band. You know? yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Bennington came into it later. Right. right? So, yeah, I, I mean, I like the dynamic between the two. You have Shinoda's rapping, which, you know, you have it's it's two different feels and then blended together for one song. So the rapping, which is cold and detached, matter of fact, maybe a little more unemotional, controlled maybe the storytelling bits. And then you bring Chester singing in, which is the emotional side of things. It's invested the vulnerability, the rawness. And having those two things brush back and forth, that interplay of those two dynamics, just brushing back and forth against each other continuously, I think that's the special, it gives it, it, gives it so much texture. And you could see all the influences from Depeche Mode and from Tribe Called Quest and Alice in Chains and Chili Peppers and Guns N' Roses and everything else that inspired this music. It's a, it's a really, it's a proper blending that really works. 
But the d- dynamic between Shinoda and Bennington really is at the heart of things. And I think they they play off each other so well. It's so nice to have both things. And it's always very rhythmic, the back and forth, no matter what the song is, no matter what the cadence is. Some songs are a little harder. Some songs don't go above like medium hard. But it's still that same dynamic at the heart of things, you know. And I think, yeah, the vocals really I, – I, I was kind of – I remember being rough on Shinoda when I was younger and, and thinking he wasn't a great rapper. And a lot of the stuff he was saying was – simplistic and it wasn't well written but he does have a good voice it's very consistent and he is actually a decent rapper and again the the accessibility of the lyrics it's not you know it's not like some kind of crazy cerebral freestyling or something it's it's very um i don't want to say contrived but it's very you know it's it's modeled to be it's modeled for clarity almost and just to work against the vocals and to sort of set the stage for Bennington to come in. It's usually the calm before the storm, right? And I like that. That model, again, that back and forth, you know, putting, you know, putting your foot on the gas and then letting off to go back a little bit and then so on and so forth. The model of that back and forth is what it's really what makes it for me in listening to this a few times. It's funny you say that because I, I remember I have just such a vivid memory of mom saying to me once, um, I don't know what I was listening to, but that she she identified that one of the, the things I love about music is like the change in cadence, like hard to soft, hard to soft, hard to soft. And I do. I love earning those moments like the I love when it songs begin and it's kind of just ethereal. And then it's just like, you know, you might hear like two hits on the ride symbol and then it's just, you know, I love that kind of stuff. Like and then it just goes silent or there's like good build up and, and a good release, releasing the steam, earning that pent up energy again and then releasing it. It's an art. And um, I love that shit. I, I, that's why I love all music because I feel like you can cobble them all together. And even when I listen to some disco stuff, when I'm listening to like the Bee Gees or something, I'm like, man, this fucking bangs. You know, like there's something about this that's awesome too. And, and so I see a lot of the positive components here as well. And I think one of the positive components that I wanted to dive deeper into that might be, have been underrated at this point with Lincoln mm. Park, but certainly became a central point to Lincoln Park later on is, is Mr. Han. Deep Dark Boys wrote in and said, this is my favorite album of all time. Glad you guys are covering it. More so than the rap rock thing, I always felt that it was Mr. Han's unique taste on the turntable that made early Lincoln Park feel so addictive and timeless. Why do you guys think that bands didn't try to copycat, copycat this approach? Mr. Han is interesting because he's clearly like the musical talent um, in yeah. the band. And every band has that. For instance, 311's musical talent is their drummer, right? Like he writes a lot of their songs. And uh, so everyone has like a conduit. When I was in my band Paper Champ, everything went through our guitarist Christian. He wrote everything, right? So that's just the way it goes. Sometimes people collaborate, but we, we, a lot of bands don't have that. They get into a studio with, with these ideas that kind of their maestro has, and then they work through them. It's funny that Deep Dark says that why didn't other bands copycat this because they were copycatting other bands i mean if you listen to incubus's science record and make yourself if you listen to obviously every 311 album if you listen to other things people were i mean the turntables on the first two incubus albums are aggressive i mean i, I would argue way more aggressive than this go listen to songs like new skin and uh, redefine and um certain shade of green i mean those have awesome turntables and that's not rap rock that's just there's a little bit of rap rock in there, but Incubus really isn't that. But I was when I was listening, digging, kind of, you know, taking some notes and, and just refamiliarizing myself with things again, although I didn't really have to do much work because of how many goddamn times have I heard this album in my life? I uh, 
I was thinking about you with Mr. Han because I was wondering what you would think about what he brings. And if um and it's funny that you said that you what the the first song you brought up was was his song Cure for the Itch. Yeah. So what do you think that what do you think about kind of the extra digital layer over Linkin Park? Yeah, I think when you you're kind of meshing hip hop and rap music and you're doing this rap rock thing, I think that's important for the production. So to have the scratching and the turntables and the sampling and the sort of underlayment of music and beats and everything like that to kind of add to that feel and that that the musical quality of rap. And yeah, he brings that that chill and also the layered sort of the layered of music underneath because I think the vocals and the rapping Shinoda and Bennington I think they could they could sort of run away with things but when you know there's a there's more production underneath in those layers those less obvious layers it's really good stuff you could you could tell he if he has you know if he's in charge of the music and he has that musical ear and he's producing and all of that you could tell he has a really good ear for music and for doing things that are catchy and that sound good, you know, and again, it's a melody. It's not just, it's the melody underneath the screaming and underneath the, the angry, the angry Bennington and all of that. And it, it smooths it out. You know what I mean? I think you need that underneath. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. And you notice it in a lot of tracks. Yeah. With you is, is a great song with electronic, electronic style. Although that is the dust brothers kind of co-writing that song i love paper cut partially because of mr han with just the um i'm sure you heard it but like the, I, I love that it's like the ding, 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 ding. that's like the chord but right. like yeah behind it he's just doing the entire time on a keyboard and like putting those two things together is very simple but you could hear that song in the studio probably not having that and it literally just being like the ding, 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 ding. Yeah. But just putting like those little keys behind it gives it so much texture. And when I was listening to it with that ear, I was hearing it over and over again that there's a lot to the like, it's hard to tell in some songs, like if the drums are even real and, and things like that. I would love to know more. And I'm sure it's out I'm there about, about, about the production that went through him and went through the producers or whatever. Because the next thing I want to kind of touch back on is from Yeezy ASMR who says, Brothers Moriarty, first time writing in a knockback. Although what? Meteora is better, in my opinion. You cannot deny okay. that Hybrid Theory is certainly one of the most influential albums of all time. I ask one question. What did you guys think of the instrumentals for each song and which one was your favorite? I mm. personally have to go with A Place for My Head. The guitar in the first 20 seconds instantly grew on me. I know many people would rightfully speak about the vocals of Mike and the late Chester, so I wanted to shine more light on the other members as well in this conversation, hoping Meteora gets its own episode of Knockback. Maybe one day. Thank you for writing in. <laughs> the, the my favorite Linkin Park song is Don't Stay, which is track two on Meteora. So no hate okay. for that record. But but um, yeah, it's as I said earlier, I don't feel like there is an incredible amount of pent up musical talent here. It's no no offense to them. I just don't think that anyone looks at Linkin Park and says like these guys fucking shred. And I, I definitely don't think that that was true at this time. I think Dave Farrell on bass, Brad Delson, famous guitarist. They're good. And I think they get better. I think Meteor is a more sophisticated, you know, situation for them. But I don't know. I, I must say from my perspective that it was never the musicianship that th blew me away with Linkin Park. And I, I think especially the drums on Hybrid Theory are pretty weak. Like I, I and I really I always remembered seeing Rob Borden say that 
during the Meteora sessions and being like, yes, I guess I was right about that feeling that it just didn't feel like he really played very well. Like when you listen, there are just certain albums where it's like, holy mother of God, the drums are so good. Go listen to Green Day's Dookie, No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom, 311's Sound System, like all of these. It's like masterclass of drumming. Not every drum, you don't always have to be complicated and do crazy things and fills and all of that, but just a little bit of a different style, like bringing out, he could have done more to bring out the hip hop. That's what Chad Sexton in 311 does mm. so well with 311 is bringing out the hip hop, you know, instead of having more rock, rock beats, like boom, 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 you know, like that's the kind of stuff that, you know, like that's rather than boom, da, boom, boom, da, boom, da, boom like that's a rock rhythm that's a rock you know you got to bring out you got to coax out the rap rock and that starts with the rhythm right you know right um that's why you know red hot chili peppers with you know flea slap bass it's it's iconic because it coaxed it out you know and you got that that funk that's a great point so i just feel like they lack that and it's because they're amateurs at this point it's no offense to them they, this album is iconic, but I think that the producers and the the decision makers earned a lot of that as well. And Linkin Park taking it, moving with it is awesome. Also, they're great live. I've never seen them, oh. but you can watch them play all of this from this rec, like from this tour when it's just this album. So they play basically everything. And, uh, you know, because when you see I used to go see bands where they have one album and you basically hear the whole album. And uh, you can't hide those B-side kind of squeakers that got through or songs you don't really like. I'm always fascinated with bands, again, bringing up 311, that have hundreds of songs and you just don't hear them play some songs. And you're like, why don't you like that song? You clearly don't <laughs> like it. Um, like there's a 311 song called You Get Worked that they just never play. And it's like, you clearly don't like that song. <laughs> but they didn't, have a t- they didn't have an opportunity when you have one or two albums to really hide like that. Right, right. And so I, I encourage people nonetheless to go watch some of that stuff on youtube and i was and i have i mean i i go watch it once in a while interesting they sound great it's just it's it's hard thrashy good shit it's just not very sophisticated okay but i don't so know it translates that, well to live performance that's interesting to know oh sure i mean yeah. yeah like what's what's dude you know what's a great live band bloodhound gang like mm. those guys fucking rock you know like but they they're horrible you know it's just because they're playing like one or two chords <laughs> talk about rap rock band I don't think I don't think we'll ever get to the 1999 seminal rap rock album. Hooray for boobies. Uh, but we might. <laughs> you never I, know. Don't I love that. Around. That was another album that was iconic um, for people my age. Because right, um, that was around the same time. Yeah. It, yeah it's, 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 it's hysterical. Yeah. Like you and me, baby, ain't nothing around. <laughs> I love those guys. Those guys were great. All right. We touched on this a little bit earlier, but I, I wanted to pick your brain further about this. James Olmstead wrote in mm. and said, hey, Super Moriarty Bros. Hybrid Theory was an album that I really didn't like at first. Their clear musical influences came across like straight up copying at times, albeit with less edginess. Korn was a band I liked a lot at this time, and there were too many moments to count in this album that were very motivated by that scene. But now that I am 37, I am starting to dislike a lot of that era in metal. It can be a little cringy, yet I, for some reason, have come around to this band and particularly this album, and recognize its brilliance. And to be honest, it holds up better than most new metal records it was trying to invoke. So I'm glad you wrote in, James, because my best friend Ramon and I, Ramon's a professional touring musician. I respect his musical tastes and his musical prowess completely. Sure. The most talented musician I've ever met. 
he and I come from this same space of like new metal. And he hates it. Like, he's like, I can't. I remember sending him in the new Olympus and he's like, dude, I got like 10 seconds into that song. I can't, <laughs> I can't. Like he's and I make fun of him because I'm like, I feel like you've become snooty. I don't know what happened to you. Like, why don't you? We used to love this shit. You know, right, we, right. we went and saw Corn live. We went and did all, the, you know, like, and now you just don't want anything to do with it anymore. That's weird. I've, I've always said that about Creed and other bands, too, where I was like, I fucking love those first three Creed records, man. I don't care what you say. I'm not going to stop loving Creed's re- first records because it's not cool anymore. I love <laughs> I like your honesty. And uh, and but the thing is, like everyone did, it's like people just forgot. It's like, Limp- oh, yeah, no, everyone hates Limp Bizkit. Significant others sold 15 million copies, but everyone hated Limp Bizkit. Wow. You know, OK, Holy shit. sure thing. So I think I've, I've had this kind of tension with my own best friend in this in this this idea of like, it's just too cool for school kind of stuff, or maybe people's t- taste really change. But I agree that some of this stuff doesn't hold up very well. I go back. I've actually been listening to a little bit of corn recently for the first time in a while, and I'm like, this shit's still pretty good. And I go and listen to that first Breaking Benjamin album, Saturate, or I go listen to From Zero's only record or, I, or that first record they have too. And so others, I'm like, these are still good new metal records. But then there are some things I listen to, like I go and listen at Disturbed mm-hmm. or um, not Seven Dust. Um, oh, I can't think of a Godsmack and, oh, and these sure. other bands. And I'm like, these guys suck. You know, like, I don't know, Absolutely. like what I was why I was into this shit. So I, I do think that some of it sticks around, some of it doesn't. And some of these bands stick around, some of them don't. I mean, Linkin Park would still exist today if not for Chester's death, which we'll talk about, of course. But Korn does still exist today. And they're still playing. So they, they obviously someone's listening to it. Why do you think this album might hold up better and might actually be out of all the new metal kind of stuff? Let's say from early 90s to early aughts might be the most iconic of those of those albums. I, I wanted to ask you this through this lens, and I'm glad I remembered, which is, would you show your kids this record? And do you think they would like it? Because that was like, you know, Lilia is kind of of the age where it's like this when she came out, when this came out, it was kind of for her. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I just feel she's like it's maybe age. not going to I feel like it would be a miss, you know, for them. Yeah, she's 15. She doesn't. Lilia likes emotional music. She doesn't really like angry music. And she tends to go a little bit more towards female vocalists though not not exclusively she uh so that would be interesting i i could see graydon being a little more drawn to it but graydon's a little younger at 11 so yeah and you know it is funny to see which of those bands from around the late 90s early aughts which ones are going to withstand the test of time and which one's quality is going to kind of make them pull away from the others and, you know, it's the interesting part of that conversation is you can only do that after a certain amount of time has elapsed. In this case, a couple of decades. And it's also interesting that a band like Korn or Linkin Park, how meteoric they were, like how big they got, how fast and how important they became. And I guess even a band like Korn, how, um, well, I guess the same with Linkin Park or just really how they how influential they were to music, not just music fans, which is interesting. But I think with Linkin Park specifically, I think really it's that authenticity and that genuine nature of just the the honesty of the music. A lot of it being obviously Chester Bennington's, you know, his, his troubles, you know, that started when he was a kid, parents divorce, sexually abused, substance abuse problems from when he was a kid on, all that kind of thing. So there's a real, there's a real pain and a real like attempt at catharsis with the music and a real honesty with the music that I, again, like 
could read as corny unless you really know, you know, and now years later, when you really sit and listen to the album, you really just know what it was about, you know, the, the way they modeled it, the way they made it accessible and that level of clarity. And I think that really makes the music, I think that makes it walk, you know, and I think that makes it talk to talk. And I think it is interesting to go back and look at it with a different pair of, of, of goggles on, you know, a different pair of lenses. And that it's, it's just good. And I think they also don't overstay their welcome with the length of the album, with the length of the tracks. There's a variety. There's enough, I think, between the rapping, between the melodic singing, the record scratching, and all of the sampling and hip-hop business behind the scenes, the aggressive drums – whether that's legit drums or drum machines, the very specific guitar sound, and just seemingly like just them being fans of music and a wide range of things and trying to incorporate that all into the music and just working in that sort of melting pot sort of way. I think that's really kind of cool. And I think it sounds like it. You know, it sounds like they're trying to get a little bit of everything they love in there. And I think that just works. You know, I think it's... um. It's right-minded, you know. It's it's they're they're they seem like music fans themselves, and I think that comes out in the music, especially in an early effort like this. I couldn't help but wonder, since you are an artist, about how you felt about the album art. Mm. Uh, Parker Lukenbach wrote in and said, "Hey, rap rock Colin and all rock Dagan, I'm writing about the visuals of Hybrid Theory. Mike Shinoda and Joe Hahn met when they shared classes at Pasadena Art Center. Joe co-directed the videos for a paper cut in the end and Points of Authority with music video director Nathan Cox." While Mike oh, wow. did the album art design, his design was inspired by forms of street art and an early work from Banksy. The soldier mascot was clearly inspired by Gundam, which was pushed further on the reanimation remix album. What did you think about the album art? The album that's Lincoln Park's hybrid theory is like some of my favorite album art ever. I, I, and that, that is an iconic. Like you would walk into a music store and see just a shelf of that uh, or like a poster of that or whatever. They were ever, I actually was looking at their album covers and never able to rep replicate that. Meteoris is pretty cool too. Also very street art because it's a guy spray painting. Um, I've got to look at that one. But uh, Oh, that's right. I did see that one. Yeah. yeah. But, He's um, got the mask on and everything. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I like, the, I mean, I, I love this album art. I love how he's holding the flag. He's got the wings on him. I don't know what exactly it means or what they're trying to say, but what, what, do, you, uh, what do you think of that album art? Yeah, I was impressed that Mike Shinoda did that design and that he comes out of that graphic design illustration background. It feels very, it's very cool. I love the soldier, the flying soldier with the dragonfly wings. I love kind of calling in the street art, stencil art, Banksy vibe. Also does seem very early aughts to me, that sort of look and feel where it's kind of um, almost seems like a print, like something that, like a stencil, you know, which is kind of cool. And I love that. Um, very specific, a very specific look to a very specific time. And again, it's cool when the graphics and the aesthetics could feel like the music. It feels like it comes out of the same time. So it gives you that overall year 2000 experience, which is really fun. There's something undoubtedly special about, I don't know if it's just, if it's just us and if it's even notable, but there's something about those 20 months between Y2K and 9-11 that just seemed to have its own vibe. Like yeah. its own very specific vibe, like something was happening, something was bubbling, a new trend was occurring, and then it kind of got cut off or at least interrupted or poisoned in all aspects. And I feel like this album just remind that this album's peak that period because it's like right dead in the middle of it. Right in the middle. If you're talking about 20 months, October is the 10th month of that 20 months, right? So it's like perfectly padded and just so 
nostalgic for me. I, I have so much nostalgia for this period. And uh, I was thinking, actually, I, I will tell the audience this, that in the uh, it's totally inappropriate, but I was also 16 in the um, I think it's in the song Forgotten. Let me look here. Make sure. I won't say the guy's name, but there was a teacher at our. Um, yeah, here it is. There's a teacher at our at Bellport High School that got arrested for some sort of impropriety, like sexual impropriety. Oh, I don't right. Know what it was. Right. And right. so we would say in the in the forgotten lyrics we, when we were singing along to it, it's really inappropriate now but it would say he says from the top to the bottom bottom to the top i stop blah, blah, blah. at the core i've forgotten taken far from my safety and then he says the memory won't escape me but m- me and my friends used to say that teacher's name won't rape me but why should i care? <laughs> <laughs> so like, take it far from my safety the picture's there Mr. Who wants to rape me, but why should I care? <laughs> that is awesome. You leverage to make your own your own song. So I still think of that when I hear that song to this day. Like it's inescapable. Awesome. It's, it's inescapable. That is amazing. I think the final inquiry, though, is much sadder than that. It's about Chester, of course. Sweet Baby Ray wrote it and said, mm. hey, fellas, when I think about this excellent album, I can't help but think about Chester Bennington's untimely passing. How did this loss impact you when you heard about it in 2017? How does it affect your memories of Lincoln Park's music today? And also, why is Dagan's everyone favorite? Dagan's everyone's favorite. Uh, <laughs> we ask that. We ask that question all the time. We know it's charming. It's funny, Dagan. Chester Bennington's death reminds me of you because I was at your house when it happened, and uh, oh my god! And I was going to see 311 in Philly. Ramon's band, the Bad Rabbits, were opening for them. That's and right. It happened that day. So when I was on the train i was reading about it and then that night they played 311 played beyond the gray sky for chester bennington like as an oh wow thing. so it reminds me of just being with you because i was, I was, at your, I was there um it was right after i left kind of funny and yeah so i remember that it was very sad it was doubly sad for me because i really love stone temple pilots which i think people know they're one of my favorite bands and chester was also he was singing for um stone temple pilots he left them again before he died but he was there for a few years they even did a record with him and uh he he was a pretty apt replacement for scott wyland who i'm absolutely was in love with r.i.p so it was sad on multiple fronts for me but what was most sad about it was like oh i'll never be able to see them i imagine that they would i was thinking about this and in, in leading up to this i was like will would they tour without him and i'm like i i don't know that you can do that it's kind of different than journey in which they had a falling out or right. It's different than it's, but it's not, it's kind of more like Alice in Chains where like Lane Staley dies and then they just play without him. Yeah. You know? Right. So what do you think about Chester's death? Did, it, did you think about it at all while you were listening to it? Did it make it eerier for you? Definitely. And I wanted to go back and see, because I wasn't even sure, like not following Lincoln Park's career. Like, were they even together at the point that he died? Cause I don't even remember. I didn't even remember that fact it being five years ago almost. And yeah, it it was interesting to see. It's always sad to lose a luminary and a very specific voice that can't be replicated, not just the singing voice, but just his voice and his writing and what he brought to the music and his influence. I mean, it would be really, he'd be really hard to quote unquote replace, I think. And just knowing that the band's been on hiatus since that loss is, uh, it's really sad. Now, when he was working with Stone Temple Pilots, Kyle, mm-hmm. he he didn't 
leave Lincoln Park at that time. No, no, no. He, he was, was just doing, doing it. On, I think they were on hiatus or whatever. Um, and okay. he was just playing with Between them. Yeah. Yeah. Lincoln Park never something. broke up or anything like that. No. That's interesting to be fronting two big bands. Yeah, like there's not many people that do that. I think um what's his name? The singer of Tool. Why can't I think of his name? Uh oh. Why can't I think of it? <clears throat> yeah, Maynard Jean. Yeah, Maynard Keenan. What Jesus, why couldn't I think of that? He plays in Tool and a perfect circle. So I wonder that's one example of it as being a, a front man of That's both. interesting. So this is Scott kind of Weiland weird. himself was the front man of Oh my god, I'm having like old man moments. I have to look this up. He had like his own band where remember he played with Guns N' Roses? Oh yes. Yes. What was the name of that? Velvet band? Revolver. They were great. Yes. Yeah, of course. They were awesome. So Good I love Velvet too. Revolver. That was like it was just and then there was remember there was Rage Against the Machine with the new singer that was um uh Oh, that's right. Right. Yeah. So there's like all I'm like I'm bringing all these things up and then cannot remember them. Today um, well, the names are tricky. Yeah, but yeah, R.I.P. Scott Weiland. We miss you, buddy. Yeah, that and that was right before Chester Bennington. Yeah, that, that was a couple of years before. I, I took that really hard. I was like really upset about that because I loved him. He was always hanging on by a thread. So, you know, that sucks. And just knowing somebody's troubled for so long, for so many years and struggling with the substance abuse and depression and just can't escape the, you know, can't escape those chains is uh, is always sad. You know, it's always really sad. And just knowing knowing the specifics of that story where he was on family vacation and went home and it was just, you know, it, it makes it particularly tragic. Yeah, it does. And the band I was thinking of was Audio Slave, by the way. Audio that was Slave. that was a get rage against the machine with uh Soundgarden dude. So there, a lot of people were like mixing up with like sports teams. Yeah. Everyone's kinda kinda hopping around. Yeah, seeing what seeing what works. Yeah. But Velvet Revolver, yeah, that was dope. All right, Dave, that's all I have. Anything left unsaid about Linkin Park's Hybrid Theory 2000 record? You can listen to it anywhere. It's obviously on Spotify. You know, there was a song. You kind of get you kind of get this complex when Chester starts singing soft, he's going to explode and just go like Super Saiyan, you know? Right, so right. it's like you're always suspicious and just a little nervous. Like, all right, he's being calm. That means he's going to get really angry in a second. But the last track on the album, well, there's a couple of bonus tracks. But that Pushing Me Away song really shocked me because I had never heard it before. And it's, you know, sort of the typical melodic singing. And it never really goes above medium anger. Like he never really goes off the hinges and starts yelling. And it's as close, I guess, as Linkin Park would get at this time to a ballad. And it kind of surprised me. You know, it kind of it kind of remained even keel and not. So it shows that there was, a, you know, a couple of tricks up their sleeve. They don't have to always do the same gimmick. And that's the thing. Even though the dynamic is often very similar. The music doesn't feel gimmicky. It really doesn't. And that was a cool surprise. On the, um, you know, the, the reanimation album they did, they, you know, the way they remix everything. If you like that song, Pushing Me Away, you should look up the version of that song from that record. It's awesome. It's with uh, Stephen Richards from Taproot. And, oh, uh, wow. It's dope. Absolutely dope oh, version of that, that song. Yeah, it's called Pushing Me Away, too, but it's like P5NG, whatever they, you know, weird shit they did. But it's just the Pushing Me Away version with steven richards it's super good you'll love it yeah i like i even like to have the version on this album i felt like it could even be another single maybe and i felt that way about a couple of tracks on this and there was only a couple, one or two where i felt like ah this is kind of filler this isn't maybe that by myself song or myself and i was like ah but you know then it's shinoda's raps were a little bit like a little more substantive and less basic for that so there was something to give it a little equal footing 
so yeah, this this was fun, man. And I didn't, I didn't, you know, going into this, I didn't realize how big and important this album was. You know, Lincoln Park growing up in the two thousands, but yeah, man. I mean, this is in some pretty badass company in that diamond status. Unbelievable. And yeah, I no doubt. They'll took... never. No albums really just won't sell like that anymore. It's just not possible. It's, that's true. The that's metrics the are the metrics are just different now. You know, um, now it's about YouTube watches and plays and absolutely all the rest and to be doing you know and to be kicking off a pop you know a music career of this importance this pot kind of popularity in the height of like britney spears and christina aguilera and in sync and the boy band era like they were really bringing it something something new and i guess you know a lot of kids your age felt like it was something refreshing and something for them that was a little less bubblegum pop it was it's a lot less bubblegum pop and uh, I think that's an important thing to say because, you know, we're talking about something 20, 21 years ago, you know, which is just like unbelievable. Makes me feel old. Yeah, me too. I mean, <laughs> trust me. I, I I know. Well, that was fun. Thank you guys for voting for it. And uh, we'll continue to do music as it makes sense. We, we also love music. We'll try to integrate that more. Glad you enjoyed. Yeah, these, it's fun, man. Yeah, these particular conversations. Um yeah, that was fun. It's good to go back to listen to Hybrid Theory, a brisk 37-minute long album. And uh, I got to get to their stuff, Minutes to Midnight and all that stuff after that. I just don't know it. Like, I didn't realize there were so many albums. Yeah, yeah that's six, I, I think. No idea. Some, maybe six, something like that. Yeah, I need yeah. to. Um, I know one song off of Living Things that's pretty good. but And that, that Living Things album art looks like Kojima art. <laughs> it looks like. Oh, I had uh, to look at that. Yeah, it looks like, like a Metal Gear Solid boss or something. But, uh, but Dave, let's end. This episode is we it. do each episode with a dad joke. Okay. Kyle, I gave up my seat on the bus to a blind person. And that's how I lost my bus driver job. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Fine. Sorry, blind people. It's not very nice. I know. We might have some blind audience listening to this now because we're talking about something they don't have to necessarily see and you're insulting them. <laughs> my apologies. Way to go. thank you all out there for your love kindness and support um on patreon and on free feeds we appreciate you we'll see you next time for more knockback until then goodbye goodbye knockback a retro and nostalgia podcast is a product and trademark of last stand media and collins last stand llc and is recorded from central virginia and the philadelphia suburbs usa the show was conceived by and is produced by me colin moriarty my co-host is dagan moriarty Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman, and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity. Casual Misfits Gaming, Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLVFMA, Daniel Diamor, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Malachi Wall, Dave Cowell, Donald John Vaders, Tom Quinn, Stephen Interfield, Dallas Pastor, Eduardo Perez, Salty Trees, My Name is Effing Mayo, Logan Byford, GJ, Eddie Medina, Jason R. Zahn, Christopher Nog, Zeno Adam, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodall, Nuclear Prostate, Sorta Serious Gaming, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Zia Parrix, Henry Groth, Relentless Rex, Tristan Palacios, Drew Mullen, Graham Plays, Christian R., Jad Rita, Benjamin Moon. 
Uma, Patrick Skipper, Brian Hernandez, Espinoza, Sweaty Mitt, Chris Kelly, Remington Wilson, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Jalapeno, Josh Allen, Rui, Tyler Watkins, Michael Buffel, Dan Root, Asak Paredes, Talisman, Christopher Morgan, Randall Halsey, Robbie Nauman, Nuke Dukum, William Holbert, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H-Trons, Antonio C., Jay Getter, Assassinated Devil, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Jordan Gale of Fortuna, John Zeal, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newland, Alex Lapierre, Saul Balcazar, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Matt Flowers, Kinnams, Mark Kearney, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Cruxes, Chris Moore, Caswell, Anti Kinnanen, Chris, Dave Alvarez, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Justin Gonzalez, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Zach Allen, Kyle Hagel, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie 108, Patrick Montgomery, Simon Dunbar, Dow Rodriguez, D.B. Cooper, Fat Houdini, Richter 86, Ian Bravo, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVio, Chris Morton, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coach, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Shane St. Pierre, Carlos Algarit, Dominic, Mike Menzel, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Gavin, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Lou and Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton Kay, Alan Trembley, Tyler Bellow, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershaw, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, The Rose Experience, and Grizzled Veterans Media, Tyler Goodwin, William O'Carroll, Jorge Powell, Max Cannon, Phil Crone, Throw 7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Joey Gonholiger, Gerald Pennington, Justin Payne, Justin Wagaman, David Iacolucci, Paul Joyce, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Andrew, Keith A. Lewis, Ashley Carlson, Marius Carson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Purdue, Patrick Harper, Madmock Media, and Jonathan Rice.